Welcome to Mornings with Mike. Public Safety Today. Grab a coffee and sign up to receive your call-in information. Be a part of the show. For more information at any time, please visit www.tapsd.org. Now, let's get started with your host, Mike Pazesny. Good morning, everybody. This is Mike with Public Safety Today, a public affairs presentation of the American Public Safety Training Institute, otherwise known as TAPSTE. Every morning from Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, we talk about public safety topics that you have told us are important to you. Our focus here at TAPSTE is building community within the public safety profession and collaborating to develop optimum performance solutions for America's peacekeepers. Today's topic being chemical dependency, crisis of addiction as it concerns crisis intervention. And the training text that we're using for today's lesson is Crisis Intervention Strategies, written by Richard K. James. Uh, we're going to be using the sixth edition. And again, one of the reasons why we feel as though Richard James's text is such an excellent text to use is because Richard was one of the architects of the Memphis model for crisis intervention. So if we're talking about crisis intervention in this country and how to best do it, then what better person to learn from than the man who helped to create the current uh, crisis intervention team concept here in the United States. Uh, chemical dependency. And when we're talking about the crisis of addiction, a lot of people are going to think, okay, well, we're going to be talking about marijuana. Well, that's, that's not the case. The most of today's broadcast is going to be focused on alcohol. And Proverbs 21 says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. And uh, Proverbs 23:32, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. And I think the reason that, that Richard James included these in some of his material is because humankind has struggled with alcohol and alcohol addiction uh, as long as humankind has been creating alcohol. And efforts to treat alcoholism have usually not done so well. Uh, one of the things that he talks about is how the Romans used to place spiders in the bottom of wine cups uh, as some kind of aversive conditioning of, of drunkards during that time frame to quit drinking wine. Uh, we've seen aversion therapy used with cigarette smokers where uh, they will take cigarettes and pile them into a glass vessel full of water and then drink the ashes from the spent cigarettes in a way to make themselves sick so that they won't want to smoke anymore because every time they go to light a cigarette up, they're going to be thinking about having to drink the remains of menthols versus with non-menthols and all the different constituents of the cigarettes that would have been part of that concoction. Whole economies have been founded on drug use in this on this planet, and the United States has done its fair share of turning alcohol into part of the national economy. Um, we decided back in the the uh, Volstead Act days in in the 1920s and the 18th Amendment to the Constitution to do away with alcohol. We demonized it. We said alcohol was a bad thing. We were going to keep the devil out of the mouth of America. 
but the problem with that then is that we had such a tremendous growth of organized crime in this country, and we had so many problems amongst the citizenry with uh, undermining the the government's attempts to keep alcohol out of all of our homes that uh, we passed the 21st Amendment, which repealed the 18th Amendment in 1933. And then everybody went out and had a drink to celebrate. When we take a look at the cost of buying illegal drugs in the United States, it ranges to right around $280 billion a year. That's billion with a B. And a huge amount of alcohol is a part of that. Alcohol abuse addiction costs are about $185 billion a year. Tobacco costs for tobacco addiction, about $155 billion a year. And these are costs just here in the United States. The real costs, though, exceed the actual costs of the drugs themselves. If we take a look at the murders and the uh, automobile accidents and the insurance costs and the suicides and the property crimes and then the cost of law enforcement and the cost of treatment, you add all of that up and we are paying huge amounts of money to control both legal and illegal drugs. Alcohol consumption is a large part of that, even though alcohol consumption has declined by roughly 15% over the last 20 years. An important point to consider is that 10% of the people who consume alcohol consume basically roughly 50% of all the alcohol that's, that's consumed. So 10% of the United States, roughly 16 million people are such heavy drinkers that they drink half or more of all the alcohol that is consumed in the country. There are roughly 55 million binge drinkers, with binge drinking being defined as the consumption of five or more drinks at one sitting. And roughly 19 million people abused or addicted to alcohol in some way uh, who need treatment, depending on you know how abused they are. There are roughly 22 million people in the United States who abuse legal and illegal drugs enough to need treatment. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we don't normally include in these statistics is tobacco use. And I used to be a smoker. Uh, my parents were smokers. I tried to get my mom to quit smoking by cutting her cigarettes in half and sticking them back into the pack. That didn't work. Um, I remember drawing little red lines halfway up the cigarette because I saw a commercial that said that the last half of the cigarette was more dangerous than the first half. That just irritated her because she'd hit that red ink mark and then have to smoke it. Um, and then eventually they just quit, you know, and, and, and did it on their own. Uh, I started smoking when I joined the military because when I joined, I was barely 17 years old. And um, they used to put three cigarettes in our um, C-rations, what we called C-rations back then, which was just a a little thin cardboard box with some cans and, and some other stuff, and there would be a neat little pack of three cigarettes in there. And and people, different, you know, you'd get different cigarettes based on what, what, what C-rations box you got. You might have Marlboro's one meal, and you might have Cool's another meal. And so guys would trade cigarettes, you know, and, and guys would trade food for cigarettes or cigarettes for food. It was a, it was, you know, something that uh, was a camaraderie builder and actually was a way to break the ice between some guys in conversations that they were having, if nothing else. Um, when we talk about people who use tobacco, though, we're still talking about 
of roughly 72 million people in the United States, according to SAMHSA. 72 million people. Um, about 1 in 13 people at some point in their life will have such a problem with a controlled substance that they're going to be dependent on it. 1 in 13 people. About 1 in 6 people will have a problem with alcohol such that they will be dependent on it. And these figures are based on self-reports and on other statistical references. It doesn't you know, it doesn't take into consideration everybody, so it might be worse than that. But in this modern day and age, when we have so many confusing messages about what we should or should not be consuming, and when the government is decriminalizing uh, a lot of uh, marijuana consumption, and I'm, when I talk about that, I'm talking about the state governments are decriminalizing it. The federal government still says it's a it's a class one drug. Um, we have we have an increased attention being paid to the costs of substance abuse, regardless as to whether that substance is alcohol, whether it's tobacco in this case, or whether it is uh, some form of drug which currently is illegal in the majority of the country. When uh, uh, when Joseph Stalin was around, he made a statement. His statement was this: a single auto accident where a family is killed is a tragedy. A million dead is a statistic. And I think we've become numbed to the actual damage which is done in our society by the consumption of these substances, whether it be alcohol or tobacco or anything else. We've become numbed to such an extent as a people because it's been with us for so long and it's so pervasive that we are voting for the legalization of other drugs to give us more problems in our society. We already have a problem handling alcohol abuse. And now we want to go ahead and have a problem being able to handle marijuana abuse or marijuana use. Uh, we already have people who are dying from and, and have had people dying from cigarettes for a long time. Uh, so what are we doing? Well, we're exporting a lot of that tobacco use to other countries so that we can go ahead and capitalize on them, continue to make some profits on them. So it's just... Again, it's a part of the way that our society is organized that people are having to find themselves legal methods of self-medicating out of the lack of value that they're finding in their lives and alter their chemical consciousness to an extent that they feel as though they're happier. And when we talk about different people who are self-medicating by using alcohol or other drugs, we're talking also about differences within different sociocultural groups. You know, the amount of drug that somebody is going to use, I might be able to use uh, more of a particular drug than you're able to use because my body chemistry is different than yours. So when we talk about the legalization of different types of drugs, uh, we're at, what we're doing is we're standardizing across the board what we think your typical human is going to be able to do, but there's no way to factor in people who have different constitutions and who will – what's a constitution? That's dead now. No, I mean physical constitutions um, and who, as a result of that, are going to – fall into some terrible situation due to the fact that they can't either control themselves or they can't control the damage which is done or what have you. If we take a look at alcohol, which is what the majority of this is going to be about, um, there is um, there are a number of abusive agents uh, that are available today 
but alcohol still continues to be that one which is more socially accepted than anything else. Uh, and, and there's some special things about alcohol that we need to take a look at. One is the duration of alcohol. No other drug in our nation's history has had as much work done to either uh, rid our country of it or to uh, be able to use the drug. The alcohol continues to play a major role in how the United States attempts to deal with all drug abuse because alcohol has been with us for so long as a drug, we measure other drugs against alcohol. The you know, first words out of most people's mouths when we talk about legalization of marijuana is, oh, yeah, we should because alcohol's been illegal for a long time, and look at that, it's worse than marijuana. And everybody wants to measure against alcohol. So alcohol is a huge part of our national conversation about what is considered to be a harmful drug versus a not-so-harmful drug, and people almost turn a blind eye to the amount of damage that is done by alcohol in this country. Uh, the legality of alcohol. There's only certain limited conditions under which one can go to jail for possession or use of alcohol. Uh, drunk driving, uh, uh, arrests, and the costs of drunk driving have continued to skyrocket across this country. Um, when I was managing probation offices, uh, obviously a huge part of the caseloads that we supervised were DUIs. And some of these people, you know, had gotten involved in accidents where they had hurt themselves or hurt other individuals. Uh, but the increasing legalization of our uh, country has caused the DUI in this country to go from where, when I was in the military, if you were if you were inebriated, uh, they would put you in the back of our car, take you home. Uh, give you to your wife and say, you know what, old Johnny over here, you know, you need to do something by him because uh, he's drinking a lot. We're kind of worried about him. I mean, that was basically what happened to you in those days. Unless you ran into somebody or you caused some kind of uh, damage to somebody else, they really didn't care that much about what you did to yourself. Uh, they just took you home. Um, nowadays, you know, you, you get uh, uh, screened, um, heavily fined, community service, alcohol and drug abuse treatment. Uh, you better go get yourself an attorney if, you, if your things are going to be handled properly. And a simple DUI can easily run you about $3,000, depending on the fines that you get, the surcharges that are attached to it. And then the, that doesn't even include the cost of increased insurance, your probation supervision fees, the drug screens that you have to get, the counseling that you have to pay for, the alcohol and drug evaluations that you have to complete, the DUI schools that you have to get. Easily a DUI can cost you around $3,000. And you better have the money for that $3,000 during the 12 months or so due to it being a misdemeanor offense um, that you're on probation because if you don't have the money to pay for all of these things, then you're going to end up going to jail. Your, your probation will be revoked and you will go to jail and then you will lose your job because your job isn't going to wait nine months while you're sitting in jail to replace you. And when you lose your job, then you can't pay your other bills and now you're thrown into financial disarray. You may lose your home and if you're support, a sole supporter for your family, where are they going to go? So it, is a, it has been a huge turnaround just in the the last 40 to 50 years and what has happened insofar as the illegality of marijuana, excuse me, of alcohol. But marijuana is, it, it, it's, on, it's 
another another situation that will develop over time. We're, we're, we're legalizing marijuana because states are saying, oh, well, we'll make all kinds of tax money on that, and we won't have to worry about enforcing laws against it. And so, in, at least to, at the very beginning, you know, people will go ahead and be consuming their marijuana, and they'll be very happy to be able to do so. And then there'll be some more accidents where people get involved in some horrific things that'll hit the press, and then all of a sudden we'll have to have more mad groups out there, but it'll be mothers against marijuana drivers or something. And um, and then all of a sudden we'll have to have uh, our, our drug courts and our DUI courts will take on another added role in marijuana courts. You know, that'll be that'll become its own specialized court. And then we'll have marijuana counseling that'll be focused on just on, you know, psychotropic meds or something. It's just going to go on and on and on. And uh, there will be more and more markets created to try to do something about people's marijuana use. And with the arguments being, well, it's a gateway drug and cocaine's around the corner and heroin's right after that. Methamphetamine is somewhere in the middle. So we, we really need to be more serious about what it is that is making people want to go and use these drugs to begin with. Yesterday, I had a fantastic uh, interview with a young lady over a couple of hours who had recently been released from a women's prison, and she talked about her life and what happened in her life and why it was that she began the consumption of drugs. And it was a horrific set of circumstances of physical and sexual abuse, both as a result of her father as well as her husband, uh, and her her life change when she became pregnant at 16, dropped out of high school, became a mom, became a wife, then became a victim, uh, had been a victim going into it to begin with, and then all of a sudden turned around one day and found that she had completely lost everything. Uh, she was an addict. Uh, she was doing everything that she could to self-medicate for the for the pain and the depression that she was involved in as a result of what her life had been. So if we take a look at her her substance abuse problems that she had, her substance abuse problems weren't because she was held down and her hands were tied and she was force-fed drugs that she then became addicted to. Her Her habit began back in the day when she was sexually molested by her father, and it was never reported and nothing was done about it, and she was never re, she never received any counseling or any kind of help or support. Her, her problems began when her husband was throwing her up against the wall in her home, and there was nowhere that she could go and nothing that she could do about it and nowhere she could go for help. These are the reasons why we have substance abuse issues in this country. It doesn't help that the that the substances that people are abusing are addictive in nature. It doesn't help at all. It doesn't help at all when we send uh, a combat veteran to combat four and five times and they come back with PTSD and we say, okay, well, you did a really good job there. Well, I want you to come over here and chill. And they're left completely alone and they have nothing to do except drink to try to self-medicate from the PTSD that they're in. So we are creating the substance abuse issues that we have in this country. We are creating the need for the decriminalization of marijuana because we are creating a miserable place to live. So if we take a look at the society and how we have structured the society uh, and we back up a minute and say, wow, maybe we need to re-engineer the way that people live their lives, then we can begin to reduce why it is that people are self-medicating. And this is about the, the the widespread use of drugs. You know, the, the amount of publicity that we have 
where we have people who are 16 million strong in this country who are directly and indirectly affected by alcoholism. 16 million people who in some way are ruining or have ruined some part of their lives or had their lives ruined as a result of alcohol. And then the gall and the audacity that we have to give up on our national mission to create a state system and a civilization here and a social structure here that will promote something besides addiction in in itself is a crime. It's a it's a crying shame that we have given up on the promise of what this country and the civilization could be and we have substituted substance abuse in its place. And then said, Well that's okay. People have a right to do it. You know, that's that's all part of freedom and that's all well and good. But the problem with that is, is as you are allowing people to have the right to begin to destroy their lives in an incremental process, then you are giving them the right to forever cast their lot to being the lower class rungs of this society, or at least the lower middle class rungs of this society. And their life then becomes an instrument and a tool of other people who aren't addicted and the reason that they're not addicted is because they have the tools that they need to be able to live the life that they want to live without the addiction taking place. So it's it's again an argument between the haves and the have-nots. It's again an argument between uh, when are we going to start paying attention to the barriers that we put in, in front of people to being able to achieve any hopes and dreams versus when are we going to begin empowering people and giving them the freedom and the flexibility to achieve what the American promise has been all about? And as long as we continue to squeeze the American public into tighter and tighter boxes, and the more we continue to deprive the American public of being able to work themselves out of poverty, and to the more barriers we put in people's way, the more taxation that we put, the more oppression we put, the more regulation we put, the more difficult we make it to be able to live through the day without being able to escape when you finally get home at night and take that drink or smoke that dope, the more we're going to create uh, a stratified society and a society that works against itself, a self-destructive society. And and that's that's the crying shame behind what there is uh, of, a, of a lot of alcohol addiction. So when we come back, uh, we've looked at the duration, the legality, and the widespread use of, of addiction. Uh, we're going to start looking at the indirect financial costs, the psychological costs, physical costs, all these kinds of things, links to crime, and so on and so forth, that is a part of the alcohol problem in this country. And we're going to take a very detailed look at alcoholism and what it's like for the for the user, for the addict, um, what are some treatment methods that can be used, what are some ways we can measure how it is that we need to help these people in order to be able to get back in track. So uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. You are listening to the American Public Safety Training Institute. You may have a degree, but do you have what it takes? Online and field training available now from TAPSD. Get the skills from the best trainers in America. Find out how at www.tapsd.org. Get your foot in the door by earning your certificate now. 